Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This week on Barca Talk, Delufeu is off to England, and there's talk of an animated Barca movie. We have news from another Peña, this time in Montreal. Barca B got three points, and FCB Femini took a draw. We're off to a good start in the Copa del Rey semifinal, and we nearly had our first loss in La Liga, but we pulled a draw out of a wet, soppy match with Espanyol. Barca is still at the top of the table, and still undefeated in La Liga. So, let's start the show. Hey everybody, welcome to Barca Talk. Brian here. Joining me as always is Gabriel Quiroga. Brian, Brian, my Barca brother from a different mother and fellow Kules. Welcome to episode 64 of the podcast. It is currently snowing here in the Spanish capital. It's been snowing all afternoon here. But I'm super excited for my Sunday fun day, Brian. Um, I'm headed to a pub to watch the Atletico Valencia match and then follow that up by the Super Bowl. Brian, you got any plans for the Super Bowl? Uh, No. No, I have. Well, I guess my plan is to just be editing this podcast. See, I have no interest in the Super Bowl, which is actually lucky for me, again, because I'm going to probably be busy editing this episode and getting it ready to release. You know, for me, the Super Bowl is is like the extreme of everything I don't like about American football. And my main beef with American football is all the stoppage in play. You know, I can appreciate a lot of things about the game, like the specialization each player has and how each play is sort of its own little battle. Uh, but uh, I just I prefer the the constant flow of of proper football. But uh, but anyway, are are you rooting for anyone in this in the Super Bowl? No, I don't really have a rooting interest um, in the Super Bowl. Um, if, but if I had to pick a winner, I'd probably go with New England just because of their experience and their coaching. But I totally agree with you. The stopping in the game with American football. Since I've moved here to Madrid, it's been really difficult to follow American football, especially with the time difference, but also with the length of games. So if I had to root some or pick someone, it's probably, I think it's going to be New England that's going to pull this victory off. Yeah, and I think the odds makers would agree with you. Um, but uh, but anyway, before we get into uh, the news and everything, here's uh, we actually have some news about the show. Um, we have a brand new website much better looking and more functional than our last one. So please check that out, barsatalk.net. Uh, we're also going to start sending out a newsletter about once a month, so you know nothing too crazy. But uh, you can sign up for that on our cool new website, barsatalk.net. And if you haven't already signed up for our fan tour in April, go do that while you're listening to this episode. Uh, you go to barsatalk.net, you click on the link for the tour, and the password is BT18. Now, you do have to get to Barcelona on your own for this fan tour, but after that, everything is taken care of. Four-star hotel, 
tickets to the Camp New experience, tickets to the Valencia match. Watch that with Gabriel and all the other fans listening to this who got the package. And then afterwards, a live show at a nearby pub or something like a pub hosted by Gabriel. And then, of course, plenty of your own free time to explore Barcelona. And, you know, we we both know from experience that there's plenty else to do in Barcelona besides football-related things. Um, So, like, what's a good neighborhood to visit for you, Gabriel? Yeah, I mean, there's tons of really cool neighborhoods in Barcelona. But I think, you know, going forward, we can definitely highlight some cool neighborhoods that I would recommend. But the first one I always recommend or enjoy visiting when I go to Barcelona is the Gothic neighborhood. It's a really cool and old neighborhood. It's got narrow streets. And most of all, it's got really cool... Uh, looking architecture. Um, You can walk around, really kind of get lost in the streets. There's lots of cool shops, tapas restaurants, and local hidden bars. Um, Did you visit the Gothic area when you were there in Barcelona? Yeah, because we were staying in a neighborhood that was just on the other side of uh, La Rambla when I was there last time. So it was maybe a 10-minute walk for me to get from our little apartment over to the Gothic neighborhood. And I have a particular kind of academic interest in the Middle Ages, particularly the music of the Middle Ages. But yeah, just the architecture and everything like that is also fascinating to me. So I spent a good amount of time in the Gothic neighborhood, and I absolutely loved it. And I did get lost a couple of times because there's all these tiny, I guess we'd call them alleys now, but just these tiny back pathways. It's very easy to get turned around in it, but everything in that neighborhood is old. It's made of stone. And it's uh, it just even though you're surrounded by modern people and modern things, you know, there's still gift shops with all the, you know, silly little gifts you can buy and the the knockoff FC Barcelona scarves and all that sort of stuff. You still feel like you're sort of transported in time. And in particular, I'm a fan of uh, cathedrals. So the uh, the the medieval cathedral in Barcelona is right there in the Gothic district. And it is, uh, for your for you architecture buffs out there, it is uh, quite the example of sort of high Gothic architecture, very ornate, and uh, but inside the cathedral is beautiful and, you know, a little dank and <laughs> and, and big echoes, and I love the Gothic neighborhood. Yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun. For me, my first time visiting Barcelona, I really felt like I was in Europe or back in history, and I thought that was really cool, and I really love the balconies in the Gothic area as well. It's just a really cool neighborhood to visit and check out. And it kind of also reminds me of Venice on land a little bit, uh, where Venice is, you know, obviously waterways. Uh, The Gothic district is just, like you said, small alleys and just really cool tapas restaurants and local bars that you just have to really look and find. But once you find a cool one, you can stay there, have a vermouth, and it's just a lot of fun to go check out. Yeah, so that's one option for you when you're on your free time on this Barcelona or this Barca Talk fan tour. So again, go to barcatalk.net if you want to do that. It's $2,000 total, but if you need to, you can pay in $500 installments. And we'd love to have you out in Barcelona with, well, with Gabriel. I'll only be there in spirit, which is the downside for me, but say la vie. Anyway, let's move on with the show. So we have a couple of news and notes, and uh, the first one I'm, I'm calling a jersey for Lucia. At the Copa del Rey match last Thursday, uh, there was this woman from Andalusia named named Lucia who was in the stands right in the front row, and apparently she is a Busquets super fan, uh, which I can sympathize with. And uh, the club put this short video and little news release on their site about it. Apparently, the story is she came up from her hometown, Cordoba, deep in the south of Spain, 
uh, in the hopes of seeing Busquets up close. And I, I guess she had written him a card to try to get to him. But she was so excited just to see him in the warm-up that I guess Sergio noticed it or the club staff noticed it. And so they got some video of her during the game. And then by the time the match coverage was about to start, the BN commentators were already talking about it. And I wasn't paying too close attention to it at first. But then I saw the article a day or two later on the club's website. And after the match, uh, Sergio came over to her, talked to her for a minute, took a picture with her and gave her his match jersey. And what I love about this is how absolutely beside herself she was with emotion in general but specifically for Sergio she was tearing up just seeing him Gabriel did you see this I did you know now with my movie star football total package I get the pregame and so I saw this on the pregame show leading up to the match now I have a friend who worked in public relations for an NFL team and all this just sounds to me like some public relations ninja kind of thing because you know, I would love to meet Busquets, but obviously I'm not hot like Lucia, right? Like that's one of the things. And also the way Barca used the video. I, I, I personally believe that one of the PR people saw the pregame and figured out through social media who she was and then just told Busquets to go give her the jersey because it just seemed just too good to be true. And also, in that match, there wasn't a lot of fans, so Busquets could easily find her. I just think it all just kind of worked out. So I know you like to believe in the romanticism of this beautiful love story, you know, of Lucia from Cordova, <laughs> but in my kind of uh, public relations know-how of, this, of how they try to work this angle, I just think it was a really cool public relations ninja stunt by the staff of FC Barcelona. That's just my personal belief. Okay, I'm wondering, do you think that... So are you saying that you think um, that she she still came on her own accord and it just... And they noticed it and then they made a thing out of it? Or are you suggesting that they set this whole thing up? No, I think what happened, especially because the crowd was really scarce in the pregame, more than usual that maybe someone from the PR noticed it because she was on the pregame show for at least five minutes. They kept showing her back and forth because she was crying and so forth. And I just think someone in the PR staff just put two and two together, found her on social media, and arranged the whole Busquets giving her the jersey because, I mean, how often does that ever happen? And then the way the next day, especially the way they packaged that video to put on social media, that's just... That's just pure genius. Yeah, no, absolutely. Because, I mean, we're talking about it, you know. (laughs) They put it on the website, and now we're talking about it. So, you know, goal achieved. And, yeah, I could see that. Of course, someone someone took notice of it, and they made some moves to make something special happen after the match. It's still, I think, a beautiful gesture, though, because it, it sort of, again, it represents the kinds of things that we that we wish would happen to us. And just knowing that it happened to someone else is comforting yeah I, I get that too you know and i maybe we should you know start crying when we go to the to the camp no and maybe we can meet a famous player and get a jersey i mean maybe we should do, also maybe bring a hot girl with us as well well and also it helps to be in the front rows i mean i don't think anyone is going to notice you and the other the other uh, listeners to the show who go to barcelona i don't think they're going to notice you up where you're going to be sitting i i just i haven't seen where the tickets are but i doubt they're going to be down in the front row yeah, you have a point. You have a point. But again, I just think, you know, I think it's just really great PR ninjing by the PR staff of SC Barcelona combined with Lucia's passion for Busquets and just being on TV at the at the proper time. So I just think it was a 
I don't think uh, FC Barcelona arranged the whole thing, but I just I love the way they they PR'd it and used the video the next day to show how emotional people get with football and especially with Barcelona. Yeah, so spin is uh, not restricted to the uh, the soccer balls on the pitch. <laughs> Anyway, we and we actually have another thing in a minute about uh, some other branding stuff. But uh, let me just take a sidestep from that to talk about um, the newest bit of transfer news. Very, you know, kind of last minute of the uh, transfer window. Deuces is out. He's out to Watford. So Gerard Delafeu has been loaned out to Watford in the Premier League for the remainder of the season. Watford will cover his salary, and there's some potential add-on of 1 million euros, but I'm not sure what that would mean or entail. Do you know what that add-on might be about? I don't. I don't. But um, I can tell you that when I heard this news, I didn't feel positive or negative about this move. I wasn't heartbroken, nor did I feel, um, you know, I was glad for Delafeu, right? And I just think that uh, Val Green has given him plenty of opportunities to play and to kind of find his way. But Delafeu hasn't been able to take advantage of those opportunities. And at a big club, just like Barcelona or Real Madrid, you only get so many chances. And I think he's just kind of ran out of those. And so I think it was a great move for Barcelona to get something for him and to deal him out to Watford. So I have a question for you. Do you think he's going to score over under four goals this year for Watford? Well, I mean, that would depend on so many so many factors. But I'm going to say over four. Why not? You say over four, okay. So I was kind of doing a little bit of research because – you know, I've I've heard of Watford, but I didn't I didn't know how they were doing in the Premier League, and so they're currently in 11th place, and they play a three-five-two. So Deuce is going to be playing right wing, and he's going to have a lot of space out there. So I'm curious to see if he does get those four goals. I think he's going to be under. I think it's going to be three, or I don't think he's going to really have a great year this year over there, just especially because he's going halfway through the season. It's going to take him another month or so to get settled in, and they're expecting a lot from him, especially being a you know, high, highly touted Barcelona player. Yeah, and of course, on Barcelona, he doesn't. He looks good, but he doesn't look great. But at Watford, he'll probably look amazing. Exactly, and we'll. See, I mean, especially he's going to get so many opportunities to start there. He's going to be the fixture. So we'll see if that helps with his confidence, and we'll see about his goal output. Yeah, I mean, you know, I was really hoping for more from Deuces, but he just didn't really deliver on his opportunities. Like you said, he didn't play badly, I don't think. And you could tell that he had some chemistry with Messi, which is important, but he just wasn't a serious threat. Kind of like we've said about Vidal a lot this season. He's been more like filler, although Vidal has been stepping up and giving better performances lately. But this isn't about Vidal. Do you think that we'll ever see Deuces in a Barcelona jersey again? Hmm. I say no. I say no. I think that, you know, we've given him so many opportunities to come back, and I just think they're they're kind of over it, you know, and I think they're going to probably sell him going forward. And especially if he has a good season with Watford, he might be sold to Watford as well. It's just an easier transaction. I personally don't think he'll be back. I just don't see him fitting in. I mean, he really has to improve, you know, I would say maybe 30%. To really be, I don't know, to be signed as a senior member of the team. You know, I don't know. I, I just, like you said, I think he's just a filler. I don't think he really brings anything anymore. And I would rather invest that energy or that time with a younger player coming through Barca B. Yeah, I, I agree with you, especially because, you know, as new signings come in and as younger players come up, you know, he didn't, he didn't make the space for himself. You know, like there was space for him and he didn't make the most of it. Or I mean, it's not that he didn't try. I mean, of course, you know, I think he, you know, he made an effort, or he made 
Uh, he made the best effort that he could at the time under the circumstances and all that sort of stuff. But yeah, he just he didn't carve out his own space. And of course, there's new signings. There's younger players coming up. So I, I think we're prob- we've probably seen the last of Delefeu in a Barcelona jersey. All right, now here's that other branding-related thing uh, that that I wanted to talk about. Did you see this on Sports Illustrated? Uh, Actually, one of our listeners, Carlos, sent this to me. Apparently, FC Barcelona is in talks with Pixar to produce an animated feature-length movie featuring FC Barcelona. And the report says that it won't be a history of the club or anything, but a story where the protagonist will be FC Barcelona. Obviously, this project is exactly meant to expand Barca's brand and revenue internationally. I mean, why not, right? I mean, there's a new generation out there of kids that don't know FC Barcelona, so why not get them attached by watching a Pixar movie? You know, like I was telling you earlier this week, you know, about the how Real Madrid expanded their brand was to make that movie, you know, that goal to living in a dream back in 2007 where the amazing Mexican-American saves Real Madrid through the Champions League, right? Uh, so, again, Real Madrid's done it before. I, I think it's a very unique marketing um, idea. And so, I, again, why not? You know, why not explore those ideas, especially since they have the money to do it? So, uh, but also, this made me, think, it made me think about my favorite football movies because, obviously, if they're going to make a Pixar movie. So, Brian, what are your, some of your favorite football movies of all time? Um Honestly, the the Damned United is probably my favorite. Um, you actually, I you made a list that I that I looked at, and uh, honestly, I didn't see any of the other ones on your list. I really like the Damned United. It's the uh, the story of Brian Clough's forty four day stint as manager of Leeds in in nineteen seventy four, and uh, I forget the actor's name. I've seen him in other things. He had a small part in Thirty Rock for a little while as Wesley Snipes, but. <laughs> But it, that guy is really good and funny, and it's just it's great script, great cast, and a, and a good story. Interesting. So that that would be my favorite football movie. Yeah, I think it's a good choice. So I put here three of my favorite, and of course, there's a lot of cheesy soccer football movies like Ladybugs and Air Bud and all these things. But um, for me, I have ooh, Bend It Like Beckham. Bend It Like Beckham, which is super cheesy, but uh, you know whatever. Um, my my top three for sure is The Damn United. Um, Fever Pitch, the original one with uh, Colin Firth, who is an Arsenal fan. Really great movie. You should check it out, Brian. And then my last one, the third one, is Green Street Hooligans, which I just watched again today. And it has Elijah Wood, who goes to London, and it's just it's really cool. It has to do about the the firms or the gangs there in London. But my favorite part of that is when he gets punched in the face. It's just it's brilliant. He gets punched in the face. He gets shocked. And then he realizes, you know, getting punched in the face is not the end of the world. And the movie just picks up from there. So I definitely recommend Green Street Hooligans. It's a really good movie. You know, little known fact about Elijah Wood. He can take a punch. He can. And after that movie, he became a super fan of West Ham, apparently. The movie revolves around the gang of West Ham United. And so he, from the filming experience, became a super fan of West Ham. So that's an interesting fact in the movie. But I definitely recommend it. It's super entertaining, a little bit dark, but good. Okay, I'm, I'm definitely going to watch both of those now, you know, at some point when I'm not ridiculously busy. But uh, now for, the, for this Barcelona movie, I have some ideas. Because it's animated, you know, you have to, it has to be a little bit for kids, or at least mo- or mostly for kids, actually. And I was, I was thinking about what could this movie be about. And really, I think the best sports movies are underdog stories. So I can imagine a few different scenarios. Here's one. 
So this is for anyone listening to this who works at Pixar. You can use these, but I will expect some royalties. Anyway, so pitch number one. The movie starts at a point where FC Barcelona has fallen to the second division through some sort of catastrophe of management and money or maybe even politics. And they have to climb their way back into the first division with a team with no star players on it. It's all, you know, kind of like a major league style. They have to get or money ball style. You know, they have to get undervalued players, young players, you know, a motley crew, put them together. All right. So that's one pitch. Second pitch. The movie starts with FC Barcelona succumbing to pride or overconfidence and loses the Champions League to their biggest rival. Now, the problem, of course, with this is that they'd also have to get the rights to use Real Madrid, or they'd have to just create a whole different universe where Real Madrid doesn't exist, and that could really throw people off, or not. I don't know. Um, But anyway, then they have to reinvent to get back to the Champions League the next year, you know, new manager, new players, all that sort of stuff. But I think the kids' angle... A good kid's angle would be uh, the story of a young player from far away, maybe a kid from Asia, Africa, even America. Although with animation, they could change it up for each region so that for the, the version of this movie in North America has a little American kid. The version in Asia could have a little Asian kid. And so there'd be a story of this kid who has to, you know, overcome his pride or fear or, you know, whatever his failing is to work his way up through La Masia, spanning several years until he reaches the first team. And then there is a fourth possibility that it could actually combine elements of all of those into one plot. Just keep the kid and the underdog aspect, and I think you've got a winner. Yeah, I'm going to lean with number four. I think that's just the easiest one. I think it's going to be maybe something, a kid who grows up in the barrio of Barcelona and dreams to play for Barcelona and gets you know overlooked because of his size, his, you know, his physicality, right? And then, but he has the heart of a champion, right? And so they, you know, from just playing that someone takes a chance on them. And then I think that's kind of maybe the storyline. I think that's the easiest one to adapt. I think everyone can identify with that. And I think that would be uh, a home run, especially with FC Barcelona as a protagonist. Yeah. So we'll look forward to seeing that if, uh, if that happens. Now in our community segment, we have more Pena news. Uh, we, this came from Michael Miller. Uh, he got in touch with me on Facebook. Last week, we gave a shout to the Houston Kules, who just got their official Pena status. And this week, we have another bit of Pena news from the North American region. Uh, Club Blaugrana de Montreal, is uh, they just got their Pena status in January. And uh, it seems like an interesting story. Uh, I didn't get all the details, but more on that in a second. They've been around since 2007, and they lost their status somewhere along the way there. But they just got it back, and uh, Michael tells me it took a lot of hard work, dedication, and they have motivated members, so it all paid off. And here's the thing. We're actually going to have Michael on the show in the near future. We're still working on scheduling for the interview and stuff, but stay tuned for that. For now, if you're in the Montreal area or you're going to be visiting and you need a place to watch a game, check out their Facebook page with the handle FC Barcelona Montreal, all one word. And uh, Michael also has a Facebook group called Daily Barca. So if you want, you can check that out too. Yeah, congrats to Michael getting the Pena status. Um, Really cool that more and more Penas are forming, giving fans a set place. Um, When I lived in Phoenix, I thought that was a really cool thing that happened in Phoenix because there were so many transplants there that so many universities had places to watch college football. And, you know, I went to Arizona State, so we didn't really have a viewing party there. But I had a lot of friends from Michigan State, Michigan. Um, where else? Florida, 
Iowa, and so I would always go with them just to go check it out. And it's a really cool experience. I wish there were more places here in Madrid to go check out, you know, in a set place. I know it would be a little bit politically dangerous here, but I miss having that camaraderie where I can go to a bar with fellow Barcelona Kules, you know, and so I think that's a really cool thing that more and more Peñas are being formed because if you travel, like when you went to San Francisco, you were able to find a set place to watch the match, no problem, and engage with other Kules and meet some new people and just, I always think it's amazing experience to watch sports with a group of random people but you all are supporting the the same team i think that's a a really cool experience so you know i've never personally been to a pena bar in the states but is there any kind of difference to watching a game in the pena bar do they do they do chants do they do anything i don't know Uh, i've never been part of this so well my experience uh having been to a couple different places not many is that um it depends on the pena, right? Each each pena is its own little club, so it has its own sort of micro culture. And uh, in San Francisco, the pena is made up of a lot of really nice people. They're very excited. There's a lot of joking and laughing, and of course, group cheering. But uh, yeah, so far I haven't witnessed a lot of chanting in the in the bar when the game is happening or anything like that with San Francisco. But a lot of fun stuff and you know shared excitement. When I was in New York. There weren't too many people out. It was crazy cold out. It was an early Sunday morning match, but a number of people came out, and they mostly were, you know, there. There once there was a goal, there would be high fives, sort of moving around. But uh, yeah, there wasn't a whole lot of group uh, chanting or anything like that going on there either. I mean, you know, after all, it's New York, right? Everyone is cool. But the main difference between watching in a pena or with a pena in a bar versus just going to some random bar is at least you know you're surrounded by at least a few too many fellow Barcelona fans. So you you immediately feel at least a little bit more comfortable. I mean, I f- like for you being in Madrid, that's the absolute worst place for you to find a spot to watch a Barcelona game in public and try it and hope to find other people. You'd be better off in Salamanca. True. And, I mean, there is a couple Peñas here, but they're they're a little bit far away from me, so that's why I haven't gone to visit them but usually what happens you know when you go to a bar you do find other Kool-Aids there but they're just kind of in secret you know and obviously when Barcelona scores people will cheer and so forth but you know I miss that kind of camaraderie like like I said when I went to these college football viewing experiences they would play the fight song people would be so amped when they scored a touchdown they would give away like shots if if someone did a great play or something it was just a really fun environment so that's in my mind I kind of picture that as a Pena experience so uh, you know, I was just curious to to hear about your experience there, but obviously they don't give away free shots like I imagine. <laughs> no, not so much. At least in San Francisco, most of the games uh, where they're not expecting tons of people to come, so like not a Classico, uh, they do it at this really nice, cozy little spot called South Beach Cafe. And on those match days, the, the Pena pretty much takes over the entire place. So that's fun. The New York place where that Pena gathers, uh, they actually cater to multiple supporters clubs and they kind of segment the geography of the bar so that each group has at least a couple of tvs maybe even more to watch their team but yeah they're more um they're they're more equal opportunity as far as that goes 
But anyway, you know, I really like how we're connecting with the folks from the Peñas more lately. And uh, I want to hear what's going on with all of them, even the the unofficial ones, you know, and spread the word here. I've been thinking the last couple weeks about how Peñas are really, you know, local groups of people, local communities. And that's part of what makes them great. But I've also started to think of this podcast more and more like a Peña for your ears. I like that. It's a good analogy. Pena for your ears, you know, I think that's what we're trying to bring to fellow Kool-Aids around the world about Barca. Absolutely. And also, uh, you know, we've been getting some support for the show, and that has allowed us uh, financial support is what I mean. I don't want to talk in code. But that that support has allowed us to dramatically, you heard that right, it's a callback to an earlier episode, dramatically improve our website and generally improve the podcast. So we want to publicly thank the people who've given us some money. First off, there was Victor, our Barca brother in Houston, friend of the show. We're going to have him as a guest on the show too. So thanks for the early support, Victor. Then we had Pranit from the Boston area. Thanks, Pranit, for that financial support as well. Yeah, and then there was David in Goleta, California. He gave us this message along with his donation, which is, Mondays I have to run financial reports for the company. It's a long and tedious process. Putting on my headphones and listening to you guys makes the day much more enjoyable. Because of your show, I now look forward to Mondays. Thank you for the great job you guys do, Envisca Barca. Thanks, David, for that. You know, glad we could make Mondays a little bit better. And finally, we got this from Tony in Australia along with this donation. Your work is appreciated on this side of the world. The only enjoyment I get from Gomes is playing is knowing that you'll be talking about him. Thanks, Tony. Right. So at least some good comes from Gomes playing is that we get to talk about it and Tony gets to enjoy listening to us talk about it. So if you want to donate and help support the show, just go to barsatalk.net and click on the support tab. Right now, you can only do it if you have a PayPal account, but we figure lots of people have PayPal, so hopefully we're not stopping too many folks from chipping in. Um, and while you're there, sign up for that newsletter, which is a new thing we're going to start doing. Again, nothing too annoying, just an email once a month or so. You can sign up for that at the bottom of any page on the website. Um, or if you want to just tell us something, drop us a line. I'm really into the new website, honestly. So it looks so much better than our last website. So I'm just trying to you know, get people to go go check it out. Now let's check in with Barca B. Now they played Cordoba over the weekend, and they won 2-1. to one. They went down when Juan Juan Narvaez scored for Cordoba in the 36th minute, but a penalty taken by Carlos Alenia and a 93rd-minute goal from Nahuel got the boys three much-needed points, and this shot them into 14th place in the table with 30 points. But four other teams also have 30 points, and two more are right behind with 29. So there's still a lot of work to do to stay in the second division, but a job well done this week. Their next match is against uh, Alcorcón next Saturday, and Alcorcón drew 1-1 to on the road in the first leg of the league against Barcelona, so not knowing a whole lot about Alcorcón, except that they're in 15th place, so they're doing better than Barca B, or they were at least. I'm thinking a win at home is totally possible. And then in the women's league, we have FCB Femini. They played Real Sociedad over the weekend. It was a scoreless draw. And, uh, you know, the game was not without exciting moments on both sides, really. Though, judging from the highlights, the better chances were on Barca's side. Again, there were tons, there was tons of great action, a lot of close chances. Chances on target, too, but they just, they just weren't getting it into the net. Yeah, as you said, the women had chances but couldn't convert. Um, from the highlights that I saw, it was really hard to tell if Sociedad parked the bus. But there was two things that I noticed in the highlights. It was a short highlight package. 
and it jumped from minute 28 to 65. So I don't know. I don't know if there was. I didn't even yeah, notice I was that. Noticing that, and I was like, I was, you know, I was thinking to myself, oh, that's not good because you know, I think from the beginning it was, you know, there was some good end-to-end action. But again, from these highlights, they're obviously only picking the best place, so it's really hard to get the tone of the game, how Sociedad was really playing, if they were really defensively just playing out of their minds. But again, just like Iniesta said last week, football isn't mathematics. Absolutely. But so apparently there were, there's a good half hour of that match that was just unnoteworthy, unnotable. <laughs> apparently, because they, they just skipped. I mean, if you watch the highlights again, which you should, it goes from 28 to 65. And, and I just I was a little bit shocked from that. I was like, there wasn't... Uh, there wasn't any other highlights between those 30 minutes. It seems a little bit odd. Nothing? <laughs> That's hilarious. Uh, well, so where does this put us in Liga Femenina? Well, elsewhere in Liga Femenina, Atletico beat Santa Teresa 2-1 to on Saturday. So that brought Atletico back level with Barcelona on the table. So obviously this situation is not going anywhere. These two teams are in a, a near constant stalemate. We had a little bit of relief from it last week. But, you know, we're right back to the stalemate between Atletico Madrid and Barcelona. Yeah, so both Barcelona and Atletico are at top of the table with 47 points. And again, that March 11th match day is just becoming more and more important. If we win that match, we should be able to carry that through to to win the league. But again, uh, from the first match, they tied. So it could be another tie as well. And I'm really hoping they can really take advantage of being at home and, and getting those three points. Yeah. Now, in the women's league, I've noticed watching these highlights that the crowds are not big for these women's matches, which, you know, it's, it's a bummer. It, it makes me sad, but it is what it is. And I know that the whole home away thing really starts to um, assert itself because of the crowd. But, of course, there are other factors like having to travel and maybe, you know, stay in a hotel versus staying in your own home, playing on an unfamiliar ground. But in your mind, how much is the home away thing a factor in these women's games. I mean, I definitely think it's always a factor. It doesn't matter what level you play in it. Again, it's just being comfortable with the dimensions of the field, just understanding the pitch, especially you know where the grass is going to be when you're passing the speed that it needs to. There's a lot of factors. So when you're playing at home, it doesn't matter if there's isn't anybody in the crowd. It's more about just being comfortable on on the pitch. And I think it's going to definitely help. Now, obviously for that Atletico match, they might have a like a social media push to get a better crowd out there um but again there's so much football in barcelona that it's really hard to give all your attention to the men's team and then you kind of want to see the barca b team and then the women's team and it all depends on the time that you have for the weekend now obviously these matches are free so it's easier if you have a family to go check this out but again women's sports here doesn't have the notoriety that it does in the united states it's getting Better, but we, you know, in the U.S., we have a better support for women's sports than they do here in Spain. It's a little bit behind, but you know, it's getting there, especially with the amount of money that they're putting into into the feminine. Yeah, I think Barcelona's work, especially, has is starting to, or at least it's, they're doing a lot to try and help and to raise the uh, awareness and the raise the notoriety of the women's game. Now, again, the other thing, too, that's very distinctively different is in the U.S. we have collegiate sports. And so these women, you know, especially in the U.S., they have an opportunity to play in college. And here in Spain, it just doesn't exist. They do not have women's collegiate sports. So they either play their whole teenage years and try to find a professional team. And this is a process that's relatively new. So you're saying that in Spain, colleges and universities are devoted to academics and learning 
and the sports are not affiliated. That's interesting. Yes, that's why the tuition here is 1,000 euros a year. <laughs> oh, man. Anyway, the next match for FCB Femini, they're going to actually play Santa Teresa themselves on the road next Sunday. And, of course, they just fell to Atletico. They're in second to last place in the table. A win would be in the projections, I would think, ahead of this match. But as we've said already once in this episode, football is not mathematics. Correct. And that's why they play the sports. I mean, we just saw that the Femini should have won this match on paper, and they didn't. But hopefully they'll bounce back and be able to get these three points going forward. All right, so let's talk about the first team. First up, the Copa del Rey. Uh, overall, Sevilla and Leganes drew in their first leg at the Butarque of the semifinals. So that was an important away goal there for Sevilla. And then Barcelona pulled out that uh, 1-0 win to start off at the Camp Nou. So let's, let's get into that match. Uh, this was, of course, against Valencia, first leg of the semifinals. W- what was your first thought in this with this match? My first thought was I was super happy that Gonzalo Guedes wasn't playing. <laughs> that was my first thought. <laughs> when I saw that he got hurt in the previous match, I felt a little bit more comfortable. And again, you know, I knew that we were going to come up with a semi-strong lineup, especially being at home first. But again... Copa del Rey for me is the least important. Obviously, if we can win it, great. But I'm I'm emotionally invested at this moment in Champions League. Now, obviously, I'm going to watch the match and cheer for them and want them to do well. But if they lose or if they lost this match, for me, it wasn't going to be the end of the world because I just think La Liga and Champions are just super more important. But again, um, you know, my first thought too, especially since I was watching the pregame was how super scarce the crowd was, especially for a semifinal Copa del Rey match. In the pregame, I thought they hadn't opened the doors yet. And yeah, they <laughs> did. And there was nobody in the match. I think the only one in the match was Lucia from Cordoba, right? She was the only, <laughs> she right. Was the only one there early, right? <laughs> and that's how they saw her so exactly. easily. <laughs> and the commentators were commentating about it. And I even put it on Twitter. Why... You know, where is everyone? And some people were saying, oh, it's it's midweek, the time. And I said, this is no different than Champions League time. Champions League time here is 8.45 during the week, and this game was at 9.30. So it's not that much difference. I just think that, you know, these midweek games, especially Copa del Rey, as I've said before, I just don't think many Kules in Barcelona really care, really care that much about Copa del Rey to really attend these matches. Yeah, I would agree. And even even attendance at the final is not always that great. Uh, because, again, even the final is usually held on a non-week end day. A weekday. That's, what I'm, that's the word I'm looking for. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, but I just thought it was uh, peculiar because, you know, I understand if it's, you know, back in December or November when it's a Copa del Rey match. We know we're going to advance, It's and we're playing some third-tier team. Yeah, I understand that. But in the semifinal against Valencia, which is a pretty good opponent, we need as much support as we can. And I know tickets for this match were going at a good price, so that's another thing that other fans could have taken advantage of. But they announced, I think, 63,000, but it looked more like 27. Yeah, but 63,000 in the Camp Nou, does, it looks like there aren't a lot of people there because there's a lot of seats in that place. There is, there is. But it just, you know, it just the way the crowd was scarce just made it worse. You know, usually in the States, sometimes when, when they know there's going to be a kind of a scarce crowd, they close sections to compact everyone. So it looks 
that it's more full than it really is. But again, that was my my first thought. But why do you think why do you think there wasn't that much support that night? Well, maybe people just knew that it was going to be a dud of a match, you know, because these knockout style tournaments, they just they favor conservatism because of the all or nothing aspect of the tournament's organization. And this game was pretty conservative on both sides. Barcelona dominated possession, mainly because Valencia weren't working to get the ball or be aggressive. But they did keep Barcelona from having a single shot on goal for the first half. And so Barca had their own conservatism. And with how deep Valencia were dropping back, they weren't they weren't going to commit any more men forward or try too hard for the goal. And so the whole thing was fairly boring. Yeah, so maybe people just knew that that's how it was going to go down and they didn't want to watch that. I mean, that, that is a good point. I mean, that's why sometimes the, the World Cup matches are boring because these teams that are average are playing for the tie to survive, right? They know they're just trying to get as many points and just try to be super conservative. And exactly, that's how Valencia came out. They just parked. I, I tweeted out, uh, Valencia's defense tonight, I just had a big bus. You know, they just put, they put <laughs> everyone back there. And yeah, maybe they knew it was going to be boring. But still, you know, I, I just think could have had some more people going to a semifinal match at the Copa del Rey. Yeah, I get, you'd hope for it. But anyway, let's, let's talk about the match itself. Well, let's start with the lineup, right? Of course, we had Sillison on, on goal back for Sergi, Pique, Umtiti, Alba. So, you know, top class back four. Midfield was solid. Busquets, Rakitic, Iniesta. Vidal was in there, maybe as a midfielder, maybe as an attacker. Messi, of course, was on the field, so he's going to be wherever he needs to be. And then Suarez. Yeah, I mean, I think it was an overall very strong lineup. And I'm curious to think that maybe uh, Val Green told Vidal that he's going to be playing or starting in the Copa del Rey matches, just like Sillison is the goalkeeper for Copa del Rey. Because, you know, obviously Val Green could use another option up there. But again, he started with Vidal, especially like in the last match in the Copa del Rey. And again, he started off okay. But again, it's just his final touches, his final passes just just aren't on point, you know. And some of this you know, you, you just know that, again, like we talked about uh, deuces, he's just a filler player, and that's his role. Yeah, and I mean, in that last game, Vidal was having the game of his life, had that one great cross, and some other good work. But yeah, in this match, he was kind of back to the form that we're used to seeing. You know, here's a funny thing. In the first half, there was not a single shot on target for either side, and Barca had the possession 80-20. to 20. To Valencia. And we, of course, we know Valencia are better than that. They could, you know, shake them off the ball and get more possession than that. But they were obviously just just letting them have it. But there were two of the nearest chances in the first half that I want to talk about. And this was late in the first half. In the 38th minute, there was a drive into the box from Iniesta, a ball in for Suarez, dummied for Vidal, who just wasn't there. Do you remember this play? I do. I do. I remember this play. And again, it's just... You know, lately, t- sometimes Suarez tries to do too many dummy runs, and he should just take the, the ball and s- try to score. You know, like, that's his job. And I understand he's trying to get everyone else involved, but again, a failed dummy. He did that today again in the Espanol game. And I know he's just trying to get everyone involved, but again, um, Vidal wasn't paying attention. You know, he just doesn't see that play develop, and he doesn't make the run, and so it's a wasted opportunity. Yeah. Now, just a minute later, there was a nasty foul on Messi by Pereira. He got a yellow card, and then on the free kick, Messi whipped it in really well, and Suarez almost got his foot to it, but didn't. Yeah, again, you know, and Messi, again, in these last two months, he's just been masterclass with free kicks, right? Not only scoring direct goals, but also having dangerous passes. And again, 
when he's outside that box, he's either going to take a dangerous shot or have a dangerous play. And that's just a really, I mean, again, we have Messi and you don't. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I mean, and no matter what, you take away his scoring, you still have a playmaker. You take away his playmaking ability, you have a great leader and someone who can just, you know, pull players wherever he needs them to be uh, so often than not. And just, yeah, his skill, but yeah, absolutely. His free kicks have actually gotten even, even better this year, I think. Now, okay, so... Uh, we saw Coutinho come in for Vidal in the 58th minute, which was cool. Um, nothing especially crazy happened from him, but it was nice to see him, you know, play, play some more. And then I guess really like the the biggest moment was the goal from Suarez in the 67th minute. It was this beautifully chipped cross from Messi after a great dribble into the box, and he sent it right from the end line. I I don't even know how he saw that line, and I certainly don't know how he executed it. Well, I mean, in theory I do, but just the skill to get that get that pass off. And then it was a good header from Suarez, you know. Messi's left foot on that cross, though. When I saw that play, I definitely thought that Messi hit it too far, right? But the way he crossed it over the bar, not over the bar, but it wasn't a, a typical cross, right? Like he almost just chipped it up there. And again, the, the keeper was in no man's land. Again, and that's what a really good cross does, right? It always puts a keeper in no man's land where he doesn't know if he should come out or stay. And of course he was out of position and Suarez was able to connect and convert the magic of Messi, Iniesta and Alba and Suarez. When they need to make those vital plays, they just do it. And again, it was just beautiful passing that linked up to this goal. And it was just a thing of beauty. Yeah. Now the, the other thing that I noticed is just the way that Umtiti can just muscle dudes off the ball is laughable to me. And I was I was saying this to Megan, my wife, and and she looks at me. She she speaks better French than I do, and she says "c'est pas pour toi," which means it's it's not for you. I, so every time now I see Umtiti coming in, just muscling these dudes off the ball, and I and I hear him in my head going mm, "c'est pas pour toi." I love it because he had you know he had the match for me, and he was so smooth on the ball like he doesn't even look he doesn't look like a defender he just looks like a a center center mid you know the way he's so smooth on the ball with having the defender on or the attacker on his back the way he's able to always pick the right option that's such a, a hard thing to do not let alone in professional football but when you play pickup games you're probably 40% at best with the success rate. And in this game, every time he wanted to go left, he would just go left and beat the guy. If he wanted to go right, he just made... For me, we're going to talk about my man of the match, but a spoiler alert, he was my man of the match other than Messi. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's just pick up on that. Let's let's talk about Umtiti, your man of the match. I mean, like I said, he, he was unbelievable on defense and the commentators just the way they they swoon for Messi, they were swooning for him tt every time he would make the right play or the pass they would just go oh tt oh tt and and i I just i felt the same way just because i you know a couple times i played defender and when i did i just felt very uncomfortable but one thing i had being an attacking player was I was very comfortable passing and making moves. And I just feel it's the same way with Umtiti. Umtiti looks almost like a striker playing defense. And the way he's accurate with his passing, again, the stats, 
Here, he was 93% accurate with his passing out of 58. And again, he won 75% of his duels. So just a beast back there. I mean, there was someone that tweeted some some Spanish profanity about his performance that I retweeted, but it was just – it was pretty awesome. Just definitely <laughs> check that out. Just talking about his third leg. All right, I'll just leave it at that. Oh, yeah. Leg. Um, just muscling people off and just being the man. And again, that's how he was. And again – We've talked about it in so many episodes how important he is to the future of Barcelona. As our defense uh, matures, he's going to be so good. And, the, you know, we're going to see the best years ahead of him. I mean, he's going to be super impressive and he's super young still. That's what to me is incredible because he's adapted to this Barcelona style so fast. And again, just like in the game with Espanol today and the match against Valencia, he was, he was the most important defender today or today in the Espanol match and in the Copa del Rey match against Valencia. Yeah, no, absolutely. And uh, my man of the match was actually, um, strictly speaking, a goalkeeper. <laughs> but uh, it was Sillison, obviously. You know, so, okay, let me let me walk you through my whole thought process. Our man of the match is traditionally other than Messi because, of course, Messi is always the man of the match. And honestly, that was more true than usual in this match against Valencia. But in the spirit of highlighting other players, and I like to try to give some focus to non-attacking players, I'm going to go with Sillison, mainly just for that moment late in the game. It was the 90th minute when he had to come out hard and make a full-on center-back-style tackle. And he executed that tackle perfectly. I think Puyol and maybe even Monsieur Umtiti were proud at that moment. Yeah, I remember specifically that play. And he made you know the correct play on that. He, he was kind of caught in no man's land, right? He kind of came out and then the other guy almost sprinted past him. But he was able to make a great, a great tackle. Uh, I think it's a great choice. You know, he had a good match. Again, didn't lead any goals in the back of the net, and he was able to post a shutout. So, again, the defense for Barcelona, just another shutout this season. I mean, we should start ta- – just like we tally the Suarez offsides, we should start tallying these uh, clean sheets. Yeah, and by my count, I could be wrong on this, but by my count, Suarez was not offside once in that game, by the way. I mean, look at that, right? So no offsides, <laughs> clean sheet, victory. I mean, this is the formula, right? That's the formula. Yeah, so, you know, overall, uh, not an exciting match to watch, really, but we still got a good result, went ahead at home. Now, you know, of course, we're going to have to go away to Valencia for the next leg. That's going to be a tough one. Uh, they're they're going to have to bring in the if they if they really care about the Copa del Rey they're going to have to start their best eleven they're going to have to play really hard. I just have two things left to talk about this match. Um, I just think that Coutinho is getting more comfortable with the attack, and in this match he came in the left and they pushed Iniesta to the right. And again, I think Coutinho on the left side is going to be his strongest position. But again, he's adapting very quickly to the attack of Barcelona, and I think. Once he came into the match and Iesta was on the right side, we definitely had more teeth in our attack. And then the second point that I had was with your boy Sergio Roberto is that lately in the end of matches, he's been taking a lot of chances. And like you highlighted that Sillison play was because Sergio Roberto was caught in no man's land and he didn't come back on defense. And again, so he just needs to realize again, you know, he's still kind of caught in this. I'm still a midfielder, but sometimes I forget I'm a right back. He just re- needs to remember that, you know, in those last 10 minutes, just don't take those unnecessary risks. Always think defense first um, because, I, again, in this match and I, I think in the previous match before this, 
couple times on his side, they were they were exposing that side just because he wasn't there. He left the void trying to attack and didn't come back. So those are my only last two points. Again, overall, we got the points, and I'm looking forward to the second leg in the Mestalla. So we got the goal in the first leg and kept Valencia from scoring an away goal. Very important. Of course, Valencia want to knock us out pretty badly, I'm sure, and they'll have their home crowd in the traditionally very difficult to play in Mestalla. So I'm curious to see if Valencia's fans get up for this match harder than the Barca fans did last week. I think they will. No, they definitely will, especially since the last five years of turmoil that they've had in Valencia with so many different managers and inconsistent play. I This is their Super Bowl. They're going to be up for it. I'm just super happy that we didn't allow an away goal because that gives us an advantage. We just have to score that one away goal, which is, I would say, an easier task to do. And again, we've already highlighted some of the players – I really depends for me is if Gonzalo Guedes plays, I think they're a different team. I think they can be more aggressive and they can really come out and challenge Barcelona more. But if Gonzalo doesn't play, then I think we have a better, an even better shot of advancing to the final. Yeah. Now, the player that I want to watch is, is Dani Parejo because I think one thing that Barcelona did very well in the first leg was shut down Dani Parejo. So I have a theory that the heart of the tactical battle in this next match is going to be around how Valencia can get Parejo free to make something happen and if Barcelona can continue to close him down. Yeah, I think that's a good point. And, you know, I just hope we don't get screwed with a non-goal call like we did in the first time in the Mestalla this year. And I think that uh, Val Green will have a good plan against Valencia. And again, we're going to be going with a strong lineup. And if we do the same things that we've been doing all season long with uh, sound defense and uh, good passing, and if it's not crazy raining like it was today in Barcelona, we should be able to advance the Copa del Rey final. Yeah, and again, you know, we are that one goal ahead, and we've had a great defensive record, best defense in, in the league. Um, probably, I haven't checked, but probably the best defense in the Copa del Rey also. So even though they're going to probably come at us pretty hard, they're going to have their home crowd. The Mestalla is not an easy place to play. I do think that bare minimum, we could have another fairly defensive match. Worst case scenario, fairly defensive match from Barcelona, and we still get the win and still advance. Yeah, I think that's a good point. And I also think we'll probably go in a 4-4-2 with Messi and Suarez up top and maybe Pauly and um, you know Coutinho and Yesta type of combination. We'll see what happens. But again, I'm confident that we'll be able to advance. I just think that with Val Green's tactics, our talent – and the want to advance to this Copa del Rey final, I think we should be able to do it. Yeah. Now let's talk about La Liga. Overall in La Liga, let's talk about some matches. Betis beat Villarreal 2-1, to one, so Villarreal dropping points, but remaining in fifth place, four points clear of Sevilla. And then, of course, there was Levante, Real Madrid. Madrid scored first, but Levante were holding them to a draw with a 42nd-minute equalizer from Boateng. And then Isco scored in the 81st minute, putting Real ahead. Of course, at that point, we all probably assumed it was over. But an 89th-minute goal from Pazzini brought Levante level, and that is where it ended, 2-2. Two to two. If only Villarreal had won or drawn, they'd actually be level with Madrid, or better yet, ahead of them. But Real are still in fourth place with 39 points, though they still have a game in hand. When we first um, started doing the podcast, we were talking about our social media preferences, and you told me that 
you know, you didn't really like Twitter that much. And I was, you know, okay, fine. But this match, for example, was one of the reasons why I love Twitter. Because I was, I had just came home from visiting my cousin in the outside of Madrid. And I was exhausted because they had kids and I don't have kids. So I had to spend all this time with the kids and I was just exhausted. So I came home and I was just like working on some things. And I had Twitter in the background and I just see people starting to talk about the Levante match. And so it was one-to-one. And I'm like, okay, I'll put it on. And of course, you know, again, I have the Star package. I get every game. I put it on. <laughs> and I start watching. And of course, as soon as I start watching, Isco scores. And I go, oh, come on. Are you serious? And in that moment, I don't know if you saw this, they panned to Ronaldo because they subbed him out. And he just looks at the camera with like a number one, like they, you know, that they're going to win. And he's just pandering to the camera. And then what happens? Pazzini scores. And it was glorious because not <laughs> only did Twitter blow up because, you know, obviously in our Twitter account, I follow more Kules, but they were just going nuts with the result. And obviously the people of Levante were going nuts. And it was just glorious because, again, for me, as I, to- I, I talked on Twitter and I've been talking with you about this, I just don't ca- I don't think they care about La Liga at all. However... I'm really nervous about the PSG game because I think they're going to be super motivated for the PSG game. And I don't think PSG has been playing. Obviously, they've been winning all their matches, but I don't think they've had any rival. So I think the advantage is going to go to Real Madrid. And I, if Real Madrid knocks out PSG, it's like a whole different season for them. So, again, I just don't think they're motivated at all for La Liga at all. No, I don't think so. Well, at this point, it's clear that they just can't win it. So maybe that's also bleeding into it. Yeah, it's a good point. And the other thing, too, is, you know, more and more we're just seeing that Zidane is really not that great of a tacticianer. You know, he's just what he was able to do was just man manage them. And because Real Madrid had so much talent, just put him out there and they're they're doing right because all his substitutions seem to backfire this season and they're not making any changes. You know, you would think that they would just kind of make these changes. But again, whatever. They're they're sucking. I love it. And again, this morning I took a picture when I was having breakfast at a cafeteria. I was having my coffee with the market newspaper and it just had Benzema on the ground like looking like he was crying. I was, I was like, this is the best breakfast ever. <laughs> <laughs> One of the best breakfasts ever, at least. Yeah. But maybe the best breakfast, <laughs> breakfast ever. Now, also, you know, we mostly focus on the top five teams when we do these league roundups, but I have to tip my cap to Ibar beating Sevilla five to one on Saturday and getting well into the top 10 in the league. So mighty Ibar for sure on this one, right? Yeah. And this is the thing that always, you know, when they talk about Barcelona winning so many games, it's so hard to win these games, you know, especially when you have a midweek match. Now, Sevilla had a Copa del Rey match, and then they get throttled on the weekend by Ivar. It's just remarkable. And Sevilla has significant talent. But again, it just shows that, again, as Don Iniesta says, football is not mathematics. <laughs> All right, that's the third time we've said that this, this episode. I think we have to cap it after that. And finally, the Atletico-Valencia match. Big match in relation to us, because those are our two closest rivals. Atletico beat Valencia one nothing, and it was a great goal, honestly. Angel Correa scored a very nice goal from just outside the box curling it into the top corner of the goal in the second half. So Atletico narrowed their deficit to nine points behind Barcelona, and Valencia are now 18 points down in third place. But anyway, let's talk about the uh, league match against Espanyol. Uh, This was, you know, the final installment in what turned out to be Barcelona derby fever. After the loss in the first leg of the cup quarterfinals, 
at RCDE Stadium and then the comeback at the Camp Nou. This league matchup was the last time they'd meet this year. And of course, again, back on Espanol's home ground. Uh, of course, every time PK had the ball, the fans whistled him, but he's used to that. It doesn't seem to affect his game much. Yeah, and I, and I thought, you know, with the previous results from the weekend, I definitely thought that uh, Val Green was going to go with a more B squad for this match just because I thought, you know, he had the luxury to do that. Why not use it? And, of course, in the lineup, Messi didn't start. Um, they had Ter Stegen, Semedo, PK. T.T. Digne, Busquets, Pauli, Iniesta, Coutinho, Paco, Suarez. I definitely think it was still a good lineup, especially having Paco and Suarez up there with the tandem. I thought it was going to be a formidable force. However, um, just like I noted earlier in the podcast, it's been snowing all day here in Madrid, and it did not stop raining in this match. I mean, this match rained the whole time, and the pitch was awful. And so it was going to be a difficult match from the get-go. Yeah, I mean, it was raining really bad in Barcelona. And actually, Espanyol, they came out pretty aggressively. Like, Umtiti had to break up a pretty dangerous play in just the third minute. But by the 10th minute or so, Barca had their possession game going mostly in the first half, and they were able to take the controls. Of course, Espanyol had their moments, just not the dominance of the overall game. But, of course, they don't need that. Yeah, and, you know, I... I kind of was not that super interested in this match just because I knew I pick and choose emotionally when I can get involved in these matches, you know, and I and I knew that, <laughs> I, you know, this is a league match. We kind of have already had the league and I, I was going to watch the match. But again, I knew it was going to be, you know, a highly contested match for Espanol, especially kind of defending their honor uh, in their home home field. But for me, the first, you know, 60 minutes for me were kind of boring just because with the rain, there was a lot of kickball action, you know, where we weren't able to possess, we weren't able to pass, especially when they were trying to pass. Either the ball was cut short or gone too long or bounced weird. And so I knew it was going to be a sloppy match. But um, one other note I want to talk about is uh, Coutinho playing in the top of the 4-3-3 on attack. I thought that was a very interesting wrinkle that I thought, you know, in the first 15 minutes when, you know, Coutinho had some really good action was because it was Coutinho, Suarez, Paco Alcazar. And I thought that was a really unique wrinkle that uh, Val Green did. And again, it just goes to show how great Val Green is always forward thinking with his lineup and using everyone that he can on our bench. Yeah. And actually, you know, a good example of that uh, was in the 11th minute. I made note of this play because it was this great ball in from Paco for Suarez and, and Suarez got it on target, but it was a pretty easy save. Ultimately. I just really liked that play because it was direct and surprising it was just not a great angle. You know, Suarez had to curl his body around it to even get it on target, which he did. Uh, so it didn't have any real placement or power. In general, I like this Paco and Suarez pairing, and I wish we would see more of it. But then also bringing Coutinho into it also just, again, adds another wrinkle that, that creates some danger. Exactly. And we're going to be using this La Liga again like a second preseason for Champions League matches going forward and I think it's a really nice luxury because now we can afford to put Coutinho in different positions we can use Paco Alcázar more and I like we've noted before I like having Paco and Suarez up front as the two and then Messi behind them as the playmaker I think that's a very formidable attacking force that's a type of formation that would be really advantageous against a team like Chelsea where we have two forwards and then they have to guard Messi they don't know who's two to defend but again, I just I thought Coutinho's, especially his ability to shoot from long distance, is going to give us 
a new dimension that we've really never had in FC Barcelona in like the last 15 years. Yeah, and he showed that in the 22nd minute, this great shot, and it came off the post. It was so close, but it was this great shot from the edge of the box, and just knowing that we have that kind of quality shots coming in from outside the box is is just another one of those attacking threats, and we have... With the right lineup, at this point, we have all of the attacking threats. Yeah, it's a good point. We can come from the side, direct, and especially with Coutinho, who's actually looking for the shot, that's something different as well. And, and especially when you throw in, you sprinkle in Messi in there and Suarez, it's, it's a defensive nightmare. You know, you have the physicality, you have imagination, you have aerial threats, you just, you have everything. You just always have to have your head on a swivel if you're defending Barcelona. Yeah, and I want to also... Uh point out a really good moment from Samedo in the 32nd minute when he was he was getting roughed up double teamed just you know on his right side outside the box in Espanyol's half but he still managed to maintain the ball he scrapped in with them and he still managed to get a cross in and it made me realize I really like his physicality and that he has this this combination of physicality speed of course and he also has some pretty suave moves so, like, for a fullback, he's, he's got the triple threat. Yeah, and he just needs to develop those moves. I think he's thinking too much trying to do four moves at a time. I think with his speed and his agility, he just needs to do one move and go. I think that'll benefit him a little bit more, especially I remember when you're talking about the cross. He was kind of dancing the ball a little bit, and the fact that he's so physical, he was able to escape from that. But I think prior to that, if he would have made one move and got to the corner or to the, to the end line and made the cross, I think he would have had enough space to make that happen. But again, Semedo is starting to get more confident. I wish, you know, Brian, I wish that in this match that Val Green would have just left Digne and Semedo to play the whole match. I know that eventually we were able to get the, the result, the 1-1 tie. But at the same time, I just think... Why not? You know, we can just rest Alba and Sergio Roberto. And I know, you know, we know from the last match when they were substituted in, they're the difference makers. I, you know, Val Green knows that. We know that. But just give Digne and Semedo just the whole match to experiment and figure it out. And because, again, we have this luxury in La Liga to play around with different formations and also just get more playing time for these players. Yeah, I can I can see that. I mean, of course, that's a very strategic way to think about it and very pragmatic. So I commend you for that. Of course, you know, there's a, there's the super fan who just who always wants the good result. And I'm I'm glad that we did get the draw rather than suffering our first loss of the season. I understand. But again, you know, I I'm, I'm looking at the, the overall the whole season. Right. And like, you know, I, I put I was I was checked out. For the first 50 minutes, you know, I had it on, I had it on my screen and I was watching, but, you know, I was also watching funny YouTube videos, you know, at the same time. And I was just <laughs> commenting and so forth, but obviously I want to win every match, but at the same time, I know it's an impossible feat, you know, it's sports and the other, especially Espanol was playing out of their minds today. They were playing so good today that especially the combination with the field, the physicality that they wanted to bring, this was like a perfect storm for them. And they were bringing it to Barcelona, and especially since we could not possess the ball. For example, Pauly did not have one of his better matches. I think he was exposed for his lack of ability to touch and pass. That Espanyol was able to have these sloppy moments and have opportunities to almost score in the first half. And eventually they got their first goal in the second half. Yeah, now the second half was 
I mean, it, it was raining bad in the first half, but in the second half, the rain only got worse, and that entire second half was just a soppy mess. Exactly. There was no drainage on the field, so you could see in the middle of the park where all the water was building up. And I remember one play where Iniesta made a pass, and it just stopped. <laughs> the ball just, the yeah. ball just stopped. So from that point on, the Barcelona players were thinking to themselves, okay, we, we cannot do our tiki-taka as much, and we're going to have to go aerial, and that's what happened. They automatically switched both teams, essentially, and they just you saw TT kick it back, you saw uh, Espanol kick it back the other way, and that's just, you knew how the match was going to go. Now, with these rain matches, especially in the Espanol goal, he, they did an early cross, PK was guarding him, and it went around PK, and the player was able to have a nice header. Ter Stegen put a hand on the ball, but with the sloppy conditions, it slipped past. And again, it was just one opportunity, one goal, and that's how it happens in these sloppy matches. Yeah, I mean, you just never know what could happen when when it gets like that. Now, so in the 58th minute, Sergi, Roberto, and Messi came in for Paco and Semedo. So I know that you were saying that you would have preferred that uh, Semedo would have played the full 90. And of course, we've talked about how we want to see Sergi in the midfield more uh, most people seem to want to see Sergi in the midfield more. Maybe even Val Green wants to see Sergi in the midfield more, but you know he just he has he has to think about the whole team. But would you have in that moment? Would you have kept Semedo in and put Sergi in for Pauly instead, especially because Pauly wasn't having his best game? That's what I would have done, or at least started Sergi and then brought in Pauly, maybe something like this. But I. I would have just liked them to figure it out, you know. We know that we know that Messi, Sergi, and Jordi can come in and save the day for us. We know that because they're just elite players. They know what to do. But I wanted Semedo and Digne and Pauly, especially when we were down one nothing, to figure this out: how to get the equalizer. Let them, you know, sink or swim, right? Like let them try to figure it out, especially since we have the points to play around with it. Now, I'm talking about that now. Maybe down the road, if we're, it's a closer race, then I think differently. But in this moment, we're so far ahead of everyone else that we can play around and give Digne and Semedo the full game. Right. So now, at, at what point in the match did you actually start watching it in earnest, that you weren't completely zoned out and just watching funny videos on YouTube as well as watching the game? When Espanol scored. Because, yeah, of yeah, course. yeah, of course. Right? <laughs> so then I knew, especially since Messi came in, and you saw, especially when Messi came in, our attack looked obviously more formidable. We just, it was like a jolt to our attacking. And obviously, if, when Messi comes in, I'm, I'm automatically more uh, connected and more watched. But especially when they scored that first goal, I knew we were going to, it was a battle, right? And it was going to be a battle. And sure enough, it just, it got really, really good for the last 20 minutes. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I mean, yeah, everything got messier, actually, because everything got sloppier, with a couple of exceptions. Like, when Messi first came on, he was immediately on fire, and it, he was skipping on the water like a like a smooth stone. But then again, after a few minutes, Espanol kind of got his number, and they were shutting him down. A little bit more but just the way the ball was flying around you could see how like it was really hard for everyone to get good contact on the ball and just so many more of those ground passes that just died after a few yards <laughs> you could see that there was all kinds of power behind them but they would just go dead yeah that's a good point and the other thing too is that it just started to get really chippy you know after that first goal espanol thought they won the world cup Champions League and La Liga all combined, you know? And I get that. You know, this is their Super Bowl. This is the Derby, everything. But, you know, when I think of Espanol, I never even think 
I don't have any feelings towards them because we've beaten them so many times. It's not really a, a rivalry, you know? Like, does a hammer have a rivalry with a nail? No, it doesn't. You know, <laughs> it just doesn't. And, you know, we've talked about how, you know, politically and especially being in the same city, it's a different feeling. And especially, you know, these matches have been more contested. But in the same, the same time, we won one, we tied one, and we lost one. So, bleh. You know, and we still march on in the Copa, and we're still going to win La Liga. Like, they haven't done anything. So, for me, um, especially when they scored that first goal, they started getting chippy. They started thinking, you know, their shit don't stink. And that's when I was like, <laughs> okay, this is going down. I'm, I'm focused, and I started tweeting a lot, and I was, I was into the match after that point. Yeah, and well, let's let's talk about the goal that Espanol scored for just a minute because it started with a bad giveaway from Ter Stegen, which normally he doesn't do, right? Uh, but again, with these rainy conditions, anything anything that could happen very well might. Um, and then there was just a really nice cross in from Shan- from Sanchez, excuse me, for Moreno, and it was it was just a really well headed ball in. Yeah, I mean that's a good point. It started with Ter Stegen's bad giveaway. Again, I think he was just overconfident of his passing ability, especially in these conditions. He should have just cleared it to the midline, but he tried to do this cheeky kind of chip pass to Sergio Roberto. But again, you know, with these conditions, the ball, the ball wasn't true. And it was just a great pass, you know, and the pass reminded me of last week um, when Rakitic had that almost goal with Messi, where it was an early ball, it was high and it was curved around the defense. And it just, you know, it went perfectly to Moreno's head. And it was just a really nice goal, and you just got to give your you just got to tip your hats to Espanol on that goal. Yeah, it was a really good play. Uh, now, of course, then we uh, we luckily came back and got a goal from of all people from PK on a free kick. Great ball swung in from Messi. PK shook his man with some help from Busquets, kind of running a pick on him, and and PK got his head on the end of it. I mean, did you doubt it? I mean, <laughs> I mean everyone. On, <laughs> I mean. It had to be him, right? After all the the smack talking he's been doing on Espanol, and and every time he touched the ball, everyone was whistling in this match. I mean, everyone loves to hate PK, and it, it was huge, you know. Off off a set play, he was able to get a really nice header, and the keeper wasn't able to save it. And again, um, set plays in this moment are huge because when it's so sloppy. You don't have the proper footing, and anything can go, and we just had a nice goal, and we were able to tie the match. And, of course, PK gesturing to the camera. Everyone loved it on Twitter. It was just, you know, a really good uh, ending for PK. He was doing like a like a, sh- yeah. a, a shushing gesture, right? Exactly, and he was doing that. But after he scored the goal, they basically, Espanol targeted him many times after that, and which started more scuffles and fights and... That's when it really got really even more chippy than it was before. Yeah, like especially he and Moreno, they were getting into it a lot more after that goal. You know, I don't mind, you know, when other teams try to be physical and try to go after us and so forth, but just don't go for our knees. You know, and that's what Moreno kind of did on that play where he, where PK tried to kick it and kind of went for his knee. You know, push him or whatever, I'm down with that. If you're frustrated, that's cool, but just... You know, stay away from ankles and knees, and I'm good with that. And Moreno came in hard on his knee, and PK got was shook up. And of, co- of course, he was just talking shit to him afterwards, and it started a whole scuffle. You know, you know, it's pretty bad when Umtiti's the peacemaker because he's usually the guy in the middle of it. So, <laughs> so yeah, but right. yeah, but you know, uh, overall, I was just happy we were able to get the result. Obviously, I'm always happy that we cannot lose, but at the same time, 
for me, I think was an overall really gutty performance, especially with the conditions. And again, we're just mentally tough. Yeah, yeah. Now, okay, before we get into Man of the Match, you have this other, this final tidbit, which is that this is this is not insignificant. This is the best start for a manager after 22 rounds in Barca's history. That is correct. I just heard that on the post game when they were interviewing Val Green. They were telling him, you know, congratulations, you have the best start in as a Barca uh, manager, and he just was like looking all cross-eyed, and he just thought it was a joke because they said, "Yeah," <laughs> because you know when you think of the best starts, you always think of Pep. You know, that's the first person I think of, and um, so he just super surpassed Pep, and so Val Green was was a little bit shocked and surprised, but uh, yeah, so Val Green off to an amazing start in his Barca history. Yeah, twenty-two matches undefeated. Okay, let's do man of the match. You go first. All right, so my man of the match, other than Messi, was Umtiti. Um, I ran a quick Twitter poll before we started recording, and people picked PK. And I could see that um, because he, you know, he scored the goal. But for me, PK, I think, had um, an average game. I thought he was exposed a couple times in the first half. He had a couple mistakes. But I think Umtiti was the real, um, the solid defender today. He, he was the, the best performer on the back line, especially... You know, when we had Semedo and Dignate, they depend even more on Mtiti, right? So to be even a force out there and, yeah, Musu Mtiti just – he's – man, he's just a beast. You know, he's I'm, he's he's becoming one of my favorite players. I love the way he's so smart uh, looking at the angles of the attack and he's just able to just see the plays. It's just – it's a really hard thing to do and he does it so smoothly. So – um, you know, the, he's my man of the match. What, what did you think of his performance today? I thought it was fantastic. And I think that comparing him to PK is, you know, appropriate. And uh, PK, if anything, he broke up Espanol's play mentally, but Umtiti broke up their play physically. And like you said, he just, he sees the angles. He has great vision for how the play is developing. And he has all the skill in the world and all the composure to do all of that that breaking up. And we've compared him to Puyol in the past, and I think it's worth noting this again. He reminds me in so many ways in terms of where he positions himself and how he reads the game and how clean his tackles are and everything. He reminds me so much of Puyol. So it's like if Puyol were about a foot and a half taller and 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 a touch faster also. That's the thing is that Umtiti's not the fastest defender you've ever seen, but he's so cerebral. He sees the plays develop before that he can get to that point faster than an attacker. And again, like I mentioned before, his ability to be on the ball and passing and how comfortable he is, it seems like he's a La Masia player. I mean, that's what that's what he looks like. And to me, I just think his, you know, every game, every season under Barcelona, he's just becoming more and more comfortable. And he's just a stud, just a pure stud. Absolutely. So who is your man of the match other than Messi? Uh, I'm going to go with Iniesta because of all the men on that pitch, a really wet, hard to play on pitch, he still looked like magic. He was the only one that I noticed who was really who was really trying to put his short passes in the air to get around the wet surface, and they still had deadly accuracy. But even with the ball on the wet carpet, he always maintained absolute control and mastery of the ball. And he also had a lot of just surprising passes like he does, those sneaky things, those angles that that he sees that no one else sees to get it out into space or to get himself into space with the ball. 
So I, I think he was uh, he was the man of the match for me in this one. Yeah, he was the second player on the Twitter poll that most people voted. So it's a good choice. I think again, like you said, he the way he passes, he just looks master class. And again, he played a full match, and I think that's really important. Val Green is really tapering Iniesta for Champions League. He's been playing more full time matches now, and I think he's just really getting him ready for this final push. And I think just games like this where he's able to play the full 90 and look really good and strong at the end, I think it's just going to give Iniesta that that confidence. I mean, obviously he doesn't need that much confidence, but you know, in the last two years he's been getting older, a lot of wear and tear on his legs. Again, when when it's not a slippery surface, we've noted how great he's been with the passing and how much in control of the attack he is for Barcelona. So I think it's a really good choice for man of the match. Yeah, well, thank you. You're welcome. And I do also really enjoy watching him and Coutinho playing on the same side together. So putting Coutinho a little bit more forward, Iniesta back behind him, they're both little magicians. And and that uh, so that... I don't know what you'd call it. That two-man show that they're putting on is starting to look really good. Yeah, and I... I think that's a good point. And the other thing, too, that I've been watching Coutinho the last matches is I love the way he can post up a defender. And when he receives the ball, the way he's able to hold the ball very easily, even though he's small in stature, smaller in stature, the way he's been able to do that, I think because of his experience in the Premier League, that really shows here. Because he, every time he gets the ball, he really he rarely loses it. And I think that's a really good skill to have, especially at that front three. I thought it was a very unique uh, formation today. Again, I just love the way Val Green always is changing things. He's almost kind of like the Bill Belichick of football because he's just always changing these these game plans. And if you're trying to scout against Barcelona now, you don't know if they're going to go 4-4-2, a strict 4-3-3, who's going to be in that 4-3-3 or that 4-4-2. We have so much flexibility and depth now. It's a, if you're coaching against them, you have to you have to plan for five different options. Yeah, and what I think is really cool about the variations that he introduces is at the core of it, and we've talked about this uh, this sort of central group of players, what we call the battery. That core is always consistent. And what he's changing are these details around that core. So the core remains the same and the details change and that can make all the difference. You know, in in previous eras like the one we were just in before Valverde, the changes were just wildly different and you couldn't exactly make rhyme or reason out of any of them. This one there there seems to always be a core element that is consistent from game to game. Yeah, that's a good point. And I just also think that Val Green is just putting so much more emphasis on defensive tactics and actually just having more discipline for defense that we, like we've always talked about in the previous podcast episodes that with Messi and Suarez and our attacking prowess, we're always going to be able to score or at least have opportunities to always score. But if we can hold the defenders to clean sheets, that always puts us in the driver's seat, and that's what we're able to do this year. And that's really what Real Madrid is not doing this year. For example, they're not able to defend. And I just have to say this one quick thing. Sergio Ramos, man, this guy is the most <laughs> overrated defender of all time. I swear to God. I know he's had clutch goals, but last night in the last goal, like he gets exposed. And then what does he do? Instead of trying to rally the troops, he starts yelling at other players when he was the one at fault. Anyway, that's that's my, my I love that moment because I just think he's such an overrated defender. But anyway, uh, I totally agree that Val Green is just, you know, I just really hope that he's 
doing this and in the big matches, he continues because obviously we haven't won anything yet. But the way everything is is laying out right now, it just looks spectacular to the treble season. Spectacular. Thank you. Now, the next match we have to worry about is against Getafe in La Liga. And this is back at home in the Camp Nou. So if this is the home leg in La Liga. The first leg back in September was a 2-1 to one win in our favor at the Alfonso Perez. And now we're at home against ninth place Getafe, who have been in pretty decent form lately. They've had two draws, one win, one loss in their last five matches. And uh, I forgot to check what their very last match was. But Yeah, on paper, we should be able to beat Hitafe, especially at home. Obviously, this match was super important in my podcast history because this is where my love for Paulinho started when he scored the game winner. So we need to note that. But uh, again, they should be able to, you know, they should be able to win. This could be another homecoming match for Barcelona, depending on what time they play. I could see even a 3 nothing, 4 nothing round. I just think that uh, Hitafe will be overmatched with our talent and hopefully we'll be riding high, advancing to the final. We should be able to just uh, have a good performance against Hitafe. Yeah, now for me, any player to watch for Hitafe, I am a little bit interested in this attacking midfielder, Francisco Portillo. He's 27. Uh, he just moved from Betis this year uh, permanently after a loan period. So he's been playing for... Hitafe for a little while, but he was on loan, and now he's just free and clear. He belongs at Hitafe. And uh, he's made a lot of appearances, and he's the team leader in assists with three, and he scored one goal, too. So again, on paper, that doesn't look too threatening, but you know, if he can get a good assist in, he can get some service in, something could happen. Again, when we t- when we profiled the this match at Hitafe, we talked about that it was going to be a difficult match just because of the time and where they were playing because Hitafe gets up for this. But again, if this match was in Hitafe, I would be a little bit more worried. But since it's at the Camp Nou, with our roster, we are superior in talent. Yeah, yeah, now we are. That's true. So again, we're looking for a win. We're expecting a win. And again, especially because it's at home. Barza Talk is written by Gabriel Quiroga and myself, Brian Henderson. The show is edited by Brian Henderson, and the music is also by Brian Henderson. Gabriel Quiroga is our promotion and social media manager, which means this is a two-man show. Go ahead and be a part of it. Give us your comments, questions, topics you'd like us to discuss. Visit barzatalk.net and find the contact page or one of our social media channels. And if you want to support the show, click on the support tab at barzatalk.net to do that. Remember to subscribe, rate, review, and spread the word about Barca Talk. Until next week, I'm Brian Henderson. I'm Gabriel Quiroga. And this is Barca Talk. Thanks for listening. Visca Barca. Visca Barca. Sports Social Podcast Network. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.